Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So I've decided to experiment a little bit with my podcast this week by kind of introducing a new format to the show, where about once a month I'm going to briefly talk about whatever random topics that might strike my fancy. I will take these from various news headlines, cultural happenings, shenanigans trending on Twitter, or random events happening in my life. Sometimes I see these things that pop up that I think are worth talking about, and sometimes I try to address these topics kind of on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you guys want to follow me over at jimmystable.com and you can find links to Twitter and Facebook. Um, but, you know, sometimes I feel like I'd like to say a little more than what I say on there. But I don't want to exactly do a full episode on each of these topics, especially since sometimes they are often gone uh, long by the time I get around to recording an episode, putting it together and publishing it. Uh, so to kind of shake things up from the normal format of having a monologue or interview about a specific topic, uh, I'm going to start a segment of the jimmystable.com podcast uh, that I'm going to try to publish once a month, just simply called Hot Topics, and uh, talk about what's happening. So let's go ahead and without further ado, go ahead and get into some Hot Topic things that I saw recently. Hot Topic! Israel and Palestine exchange fire. The ongoing feud between Israel and Palestine sparked up again this past week. And like most other times before it, things died down relatively quickly in a matter of days. But unfortunately not before killing dozens of people and blowing a lot of things up. And causing people around the globe to panic and to dig their heels in on which side they wanted to defend. The details of the storyline of what happened this time really are of little interest to me, and pretty much they're just as forgettable as the last dozen or so times such things have happened. And I don't say that to, you know, be glib or overlook, you know, the real serious nature of what happened, but, you know, this was ultimately a flash-in-the-pan sort of event. It was kind of like a rerun of a show we've seen before, and we'll yet see again. And the details of it don't really matter at the end of the day because of just the underlying feud that exists between Israelis and Palestinians. But here's my quick take on the issue. As Christians, while we recognize that God promises the land on the other side of the Jordan River to Abraham and his descendants forever, that doesn't mean we are required to stand with Israel every time that Israel engages in bad behavior. Let me say that again. Just because Israel does something doesn't mean we have to stand with Israel every time Israel engages in bad behavior. Nor does it mean we automatically defend the Palestinians, who are essentially living in what's the equivalent of an apartheid state, simply because Israel has been a violent oppressor over the years. And they often engage in bad behavior too. Hamas is nothing to sneeze at. They're a terrorist organization and their influence on the Palestinian people and all that happens in the geopolitical sphere over there cannot be overlooked. And they're a bad actor in this play, um, and 
while we might say, oh, the Palestinians are oppressed and they live in an apartheid state, that still doesn't justify the terrorist behavior that they engage in often um, just simply because they are oppressed. And while I recognize that the issues around Israel and Palestine are often complicated issues with no clear, easy answers about how to move forward and how to resolve the ongoing tit-for-tat exchange that we constantly see with them over there, I think it's important to put out there as a Christian and as an evangelical Christian at that, one who believes in, you know, quote-unquote, a literal interpretation of the Bible and the significance of Israel in regard to the land that was promised to them. But as a Christian, I'm not just going to stand with Israel because God made some promises regarding uh, the divvying up of the land once upon a time. You know, I'll let God take care of those things in God's time. And the Jews don't just have a blank check to act like whatever they want to act like just because God made a promise to them. I know, I know you, you might be thinking of Joshua and Judges where God indeed gave them such a blank check. But uh, that check got taken back. Uh, when God sent them into exile for bad behavior. So while the land is still yet promised to Abraham and his descendants forever, just because of that promise doesn't mean that they can behave badly. And God has shown historically through much exile that the children of Israel don't have a right just to claim the land just because he, God promised to them. And that he doesn't, and that they don't have a right just to act whatever way they want in total disregard to their neighbors or the strangers in their midst. Um, as a Christian, at the end of the day, I don't stand with Israel so much as I stand for justice, peace, and mercy. And however the conflict between Israel and Palestine ultimately plays out in history, that's yet to be determined. But whatever happens, our goal as Christians is not to side with Israel or to side with the Palestinians for all the numerous reasons we could side with either side. Our goal as Christians is to ultimately stand and pray for and work towards the reconciliation of both sides to one another. And that's simply the taking of sides in this crazy Jerry Springer tit-for-tat fight. Hot Topic! The Apostle Paul was a double agent. Well, at least that's what some guy on Twitter decided to say. And to make a splash in Christian circles, both progressive and conservative, uh, this past week, his simple suggestion was this. I'm not even going to say the guy's name. So this guy simply said that the Apostle Paul was really a religious double agent, James Bond style, hell-bent on destroying the Jesus movement from the inside out. He couldn't just be content with persecuting Christians and trying to kill Christians. Nope. Instead of trying to stamp out Christians by uh, killing them, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, apparently just decided, nope, he was going to infiltrate the Jesus movement. He was going to go ahead and infiltrate Christianity, and then he was going to bend it towards his will. And it is said that the Apostle Paul co-opted the Jesus movement and essentially paganized it and is ultimately somebody that we should not trust. And as it turns out, <laughs> shocker, the guy who said this is just some huckster trying to sell a forthcoming book. Oh my gosh, who saw that one coming? And so, you know, he said the most controversial thing he could say on Twitter, um, and, you know, that drummed up the attention. That got the notices. And as a result, now there are definitely a couple more people, probably not many, but there are definitely a couple more people out there 
who will be interested in buying his forthcoming book. Um, and, you know, this wasn't turned out an isolated incident. This author of uh, this tweet, who uh, made a splash this week, turns out a couple months ago he went TikTok viral for making a statement about how Jesus was a racist. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that one right there. <laughs> so we know this guy, you know, definitely has uh, some hot takes and he definitely has an ulterior motive. Now he tries to throw around the fact that he is a master of theology student graduate of a United Methodist uh, seminary. Um, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, they hand out masters in theologies to anybody who's willing to pay the tuition. That's not exactly a huge accomplishment. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It just means at best that it might be a little easier to get somebody to take you seriously when you say, I want to write a book. But that's about it. Um, but whatever the case, I always find attacks on the Apostle Paul an interesting thing. For some, the Apostle Paul is not woke enough. It said he's misogynistic. It said he's racist. For others, the Apostle Paul is just too Jewish. And yet for others, the Apostle Paul is uh, neoplatonic uh, and he's a bastardized guy trying to pervert the Jesus faith with something that Aristotle and Plato would have been more agreeable to. So, Pauline, the critics, while in dissenters, you know, they're kind of rare, but I will say they do pop up from time to time throughout history. And I think in recent years, it's kind of become a little bit more fashionable in the current theological and political environment to kind of hate on the Apostle Paul. People like to say some things about him. But one thing is for sure, whether you like the Apostle Paul or not, his efforts laid a foundation that will never be dug up. Some people might want to imagine a Christianity that's a little less Pauline. But at this point, the toothpaste is out of the tube, folks. And it ain't going back in. And try as some might to divorce the Apostle Paul from the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. You simply will never be able to separate being a follower of Jesus from the massive influence that the Apostle Paul had on the gospel. So, if you think he was a double agent, well, maybe he succeeded in some sense. Maybe he did change uh, some things, if you, if you believe that. Because Christianity uh, has definitely not been the same since the Apostle Paul was blinded by the light and saw the risen Jesus Christ. Hot topic! Summer vacations are back. So 50% of adults I've read are now vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus in America. And with Memorial Day weekend upon us, this officially means that summer vacations are now back. Woo! Well, now that we stopped going on vacation during the pandemic, I went on vacation a couple times during the pandemic. In fact, I went last Memorial Day weekend. My wife and I, we went to Myrtle Beach. Uh, my in-laws have a beach house in that vicinity, and we decided to quarantine at the beach and have some fun and take some long walks. Uh, we managed to get a bite or two out um, to go and, uh, you know, had a good time otherwise. Um, we went on a couple other little mini vacations. You know, we were mindful of social distancing guidelines, and we wore our mask and, and things like that. We went very carefully to different places. 
Uh, and things last year were definitely scaled back for us, and I know they were scaled back for a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people didn't even attempt to go anywhere last year because of COVID, and understandably so. Um, but I expect now that, you know, pretty much all the quarantines are over, all the social distancing guidelines are pretty much gone for the most part, uh, masks are not required in a lot of different places, except maybe individual restaurants or stores. Um, so I expect that this summer a lot of Americans are going to go vacate as much as possible, which can ultimately mean only one thing. High-priced hotels, expensive airfare, and long lines at whatever destination we set our mind on. So, with all that said, uh, maybe we just need another year of a staycation, just until maybe things blow over and get back to normal, if there is such a thing as normal. <laughs> Hot topic! Next topic, it's been one year since George Floyd's murder. It seems just like yesterday that George Floyd was tragically murdered by police and massive protest swept over the nation in response, both peaceful protest and very violent protest. It's sad, though, for all that had happened last year and for all the protest and for all the unrest and, 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 and all the, the t conversations that were had, not much of anything meaningful has really transpired to affect real change. I suspect that's because some lunatics decided that we need to quote-unquote defund the police. Um, and that, you know, proved very popular with uh, rabid 10% of hyper-progressive left liberal type peoples. Um, but it proved to be deeply unpopular with just about anybody else that had a brain. Um, so that kind of, as a result of trying to negotiate for something stupid... As a result, nothing happened of any significance. About the only thing that I think we could say that we've seen in the past year as a result of those protests is that a lot of major corporations have bought some political brownie points by running some ads, donating some money, and holding a bunch of diversity seminars at the office. And maybe I'm just too cynical, but I feel at the end of the day, corporations largely do these things, and may, maybe some people at these corporations do them in goodwill, um, but at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of these things are just corporations buying racism insurance from the powers that be. If they buy the racism insurance, that means angry senators and congressmen won't drag them before committees and force them to testify. It means that maybe some of their stores won't be burned down. It means that maybe somebody won't be leading a protest against their corporation for something that they perceive as an uh, inherently racist policy. Um, at the end of the day, it gets a lot of uh, bad stuff to go away for these corporations, so I kind of understand maybe why a lot of them have stepped up the game. And from a risk aversion standpoint, from a reputational risk aspect, you know, maybe it makes a bit of sense to engage in some of this behavior. But at the end of the day, all this buying of insurance has squandered a good opportunity to bring out meaningful reform. I think George Floyd's tragic death created an environment um, in which we were ripe for real reform. 
like I said, nothing significant happened. There was a lot of emotion expressed and a lot of protest and a lot of destroying of property. Um, but what happened at the end of the day? I mean, the cops got convicted, which is definitely uh, a good thing. Some people were really worried that was not going to happen, but uh, proved out it did happen. Um, personally, me speaking... And since it is my podcast, it will be me speaking. <laughs> I would like to have seen some reforms regarding the de- demilitarization of the police, the end of the drug war, and the end of qualified immunity. I think a much more libertarian approach to policing, to public policy, uh, would have gone a long way in helping bring out meaningful Um, police reforms and things that would have actually impacted um, things that cause a disproportionate uh, impact on black and minority communities in the United States. But hey, we love our police to look like they're getting ready to kick down Osama bin Laden's door. And we love the drug war at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, because we love unions so much, we're going to make it impossible to prosecute police um for their bad and reckless behavior and hold them personally responsible uh so things are gonna just continue on as they always have been and at this point i'm not really sure what it would take to bring about any sort of meaningful reform it doesn't seem like anybody has anything of substance planned anytime soon um so my guess is for anything of significant reform to happen It's either going to have to happen inch by inch by inch by inch by inch over hundreds of years. Or we're going to have to wait till something blows up ten times worse than what happened last summer. So, pick your poison. Whichever is going to happen. Hot topic! And finally, Guy Fieri is making bank. The mayor of Flavortown. You know him, the spiky-haired, pudgy guy on Food Network, Guy Fieri, just announced that he signed a three-year contract renewal with the Food Network for $80 million. That's a whole lot of cheddar. And apparently, America just can't get enough of diners, drive-ins, and dives, or any of the other shows that Guy Fieri pops in on. I know I've definitely watched my share of episodes over the years, and while I probably don't watch as much as I used to, that still occasionally happens. If nothing else is on on a Saturday and I'm stuck at home with nothing left to watch, I'm probably going to get an episode of Triple D in. Not going to lie. And that one episode may quickly spiral into three or four because I'm just like, oh man, look how great those burgers served on top of those nachos look. Man, I would just love to eat a... plate of nachos with a cheeseburger on top because <laughs> that's essentially what you know triple d is at the end of the day right folks and i've you know I, but i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna talk trash it's a great show it's fun guys a lot of fun uh he is the king of all adjectives he knows how to just just spit out words like nobody's business his i think he's just a walking thesaurus at the end of the day and i don't know how he gets it I don't know how he does it, but his ability just to throw language around um, and to describe things and to sizzle things and to sell things is just second to none. So I can definitely see why Food Network is saying, hey, this guy right here, 
We got to pay him $80 million to stick around for another three years. So good for you, Guy Fieri. I love you. And, you know, frankly, if you've ever had the opportunity to, especially if you live in a major city, um, like I do, I live in the Charlotte area, and I've had the opportunity at three or four different restaurants that Guy Fieri has come to in the Charlotte area over the years. And it's been a really cool experience, especially when you walk into these restaurants. They usually have his little moniker featured up there. Uh, with his spiky hair and his face painted on a wall. Um, and they usually offer a special menu of, these are the things Guy Fieri ate uh, while Guy Fieri was here. And that's always pretty cool. That way you can sit there and say, I want to eat what Guy ate when Guy was here. Um, instead of having to go on YouTube or search online for finding what meals that Guy ate when Guy was there. You could simply go up to like JJ's Red Hots in Charlotte. They have prominently featured uh, some of the hot dogs that they made special um, for Guy uh, and some of the things he ate. So it's always a cool experience. And I got to say, of the places I've been to, the joints I've been to, and I've been to several in the Charlotte area, they different. They uh, they definitely didn't disappoint. They were delicious. And I have uh, gone back a time or two to several of these places because they've just been so awesome. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, my hot topics for the week. Hope everybody has a great Memorial Day. Take care. God bless. And hey, this is everybody. This has been Jimmy Humphrey at Jimmy's Table Podcast at Jimmy'sTable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Hope you check out the podcast, share it with others, like it, subscribe to it, go to Jimmy'sTable.com slash subscribe. And if you want to take me on on any of these topics that I've talked about, feel free to email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Again, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey at jimmystable.com. Take care, everybody. God bless. Have a good one, and I'll see you again next week. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.